Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week Health. You're not really building a lot of the tech in most health systems. You're mostly buying and managing and maintaining. But the data piece is critical. I believe data governance is a probably the biggest gap from best performing organizations to least performing organizations. Thanks for joining us. This is Keynote, a This Week Health conference show. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. For five years now, we have been making podcasts to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. Special thanks to our keynote show partners for choosing to invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. All right, today we're joined by Anish Chopra, first CTO for the United States government and co-founder and president of Care Journey, which is a healthcare analytics firm. Anish, welcome back to the show. Bill, thanks for having me, and always a pleasure to join you on, I hope, the hot topics of the day, and if I can help dispel myths and share ideas about the public sector's role and public-private collaboration, I'm eager to do so with you. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. One of the things we're doing to start off our five-year anniversary is we went back to every year and got the most listened to shows, and I went back to those guests and said, I, I want you to have, have you on in the beginning of this this five-year anniversary. So I, I appreciate it. you were on in the first year. In fact, the back-to-back -back weeks of your classmate, John Halamka, and you really set the tone for that first year. And I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to come on the show. Thank you. Uh, hey, we, we usually, I mean, we go all over the place, but before we go there, what have you been up to? What are you doing these days? Well, I basically pretend I'm still in the government. And I say that half-heartedly, the Biden administration is a lot of my old friends from the, the Obama years. They have not yet named a CTO. So occasionally I'll ping my friends and say, by the way, if I were in the role, I'd be thinking about this, that, and the other, and might that be useful? And to give you an example of some of that, the president hosted this White House hunger conference maybe a month and a half ago. We're, we're filming this kind of in the fall or winter, I should say, of, of 2022. And, and they announced an objective that we get all individuals in America screened for social needs, a universal screening requirement for hospitals. But there isn't like a technical standard or data sharing standard. So while everybody agrees in principle that we should be collecting and, and, and screening for social how to do that, who to share it with, what actions can be taken on it, that's still TBD. And so we got a coalition of the leading EHR systems, a bunch of the health systems, a bunch of the plans, and a bunch of the SDOH networks. And we said, let's, I know I've been at this for five, seven years, thinking about these things broadly. Let's get a focused effort to real world test how we're going to share and what we're going to do with the social needs data. And I'm just so grateful that the group came together so quickly. And so launching Sync for Social Needs helping launch project clarity around price transparency. I'm working on a Tefka fire pilot proposal 
and uh, something around provider data commons. It's a, an opportunity to do public-private collaboration. I'm just wearing my private sector hat rather than my government hat. And I spend a lot of my time thinking about those things. And then obviously in the day job, Care Journey continues to grow in value-based care, got 150 members, but mostly I'm aligned with the Medicare Innovation Center, looking to get 100% of the Medicare population into value-based care arrangements by 2030. And so these sort of things are kind of continuations of, of the last decade in the Obama administration. You wish you were further ahead than you were today, but the impact I hope will be even greater when we get to that kind of a, a scale up on rates and value-based care. Being a CTO for the federal government, as I listen to you talk about these things, one is you have to have a long-term perspective. Clearly, you have to be a connector. Like you just, you're constantly pulling people together and you have to be a, a I don't want to say the inventor, but it's somebody who can generate ideas and say, hey, we could, if we bring these people together, we could do something here. And you sort of get it going. Is that essentially the essence of this? If somebody's thinking of sending, President Biden, their application. Is that essentially the job? Yeah, the, the joke, I think, was that I was more chief collaboration officer than tech officer. And, and it comes from this philosophy, Bill, and I, I do hope many more of the CIO community think about these issues because it is a struggle. There's a ton to do on the day job. But the fundamental up at night issue, whether you're President Obama, President Biden, even President Trump, or your own local health organization president, Am I maximizing the value of technology, data, and innovation to do X? And what ends up happening is executives know what X is, grow our commercial revenue base, expand in the Medicare Advantage, embrace some type of virtual, hybrid, integrated offering to expand access. There's lots of things to be done. And the nagging question of whether or not technology, data, and innovation are being optimized, it's a little bit of a, a gap in the market. So there's a strategy and a business team looking to do the growth objective or the quality objective or the consumer uh, experience objective. And they have some understanding of technology. They may come to the CIO for guidance. More often than not, they're getting educated by vendors and they come to the CIO for deals. And so there's a little bit of a chicken and egg issue. If if I were in the role today, the way I was in the Obama years, I would be building relationships with the key cabinet members, Secretary of Health, Secretary of Energy, Secretary of Education, and so forth, and asking them for their goals and objectives to hit their priorities, and then learn where technology and innovation can be brought to bear. Inevitably, we're under leveraging the internet, and so my philosophy was always like embrace the internet, make the internet more secure and extend its its reach. And then think about applications that are built for purpose that can run on, on internet platforms. And so inevitably, there isn't a healthcare strategy on the market today that couldn't do more, be more impactful, get more results if it had fully taken advantage of technology, data, and innovation. And in this context, regulated technology data innovation, which I think is a unique aspect of the healthcare market, which is different than a generic uh, conversation about FinTech or some other issues. I'm I'm going to go in the CIO direction with this because that's an interesting segue 
into having those conversations, understanding what's going on. We are, we're to timestamp this, we're recording essentially around December 1st of, of 2022. And what I used to do at the end of the year, because actually December is a fairly slow time in healthcare for a CIO, oddly enough. And I used to spend a lot of time during that time thinking strategically around what are the tech trends, what's coming down the pike. I used to lay out a five-year, hey, these are the things I think are going to impact us. Not only look at the tech trends, but look at the people trends, what's going on in the markets, people. Are people, well, right now we have remote work and a bunch of other trends going on. You have to always be aware of those because you employ, you know, 30, 50, 100,000 people. You got to understand how they're thinking and moving. So you have the tech trends, the people trends, but then the business trends are so important. And that's where I want to start with you. What's the, the CIOs today? It used to be, hey, optimize the EHR, get us a new ERP, do this, do this. It was almost a task-driven project. But where are we missing the strategy piece, the stepping back at the end of the year and going, all right, where is this going? What are the things I need to keep an eye on and be that uh, that person who's maybe out in front or at least their head above the water looking around saying, Okay, for our organization, I'm going to come back. This is this is what I'm going to bring to the table. The CIO at this point. I yeah, and so here herein lies uh maybe let me peel this onion three layers, okay? Let's start with the first layer. A little bit of a state of the union in healthcare. We are entering a period of aggregate fiscal constraints. There's always a moment every 10, 15, 20 years where we, where we ebb and flow, where the country screams no moss and we end up with some version of the Balanced Budget Act of XYZ year that slashes rates and puts healthcare on a diet and we react to a lot of pressure. Feels a little bit of an across the board slash and burn frustration, not very surgical and probably detrimental to overall patient care. And yet we find ourselves in these rhythms because Healthcare is growing faster than inflation. When you're printing money and you don't really care about the debt and the deficit, you can kind of get by with printing more money. But we're entering a period where that, I wouldn't call it a gravy train, but that financial model is going to hit hit a proverbial brick wall. And so there's going to be a great deal of aggregate pressure to constrain healthcare inflation. The individual markets are rife with their own operating issues. I need more revenue. I need to constrain escalating costs in labor, in supplies. And so you might optimize for your local health organization's fiscal priorities, but in the aggregate, if everybody optimized, it only accelerate the fiscal response, which is going to be a slash and burn on anything. So the challenge for the CIO, given the first layer of the cake, is that you kind of have to anticipate where we're heading to revisit whether you've got the right approach on technology, data, and innovation. And the only way out of a fiscal calamity is if we can solve for bettering the care within the existing healthcare budget, maybe less 
intensive inpatient care, more of a shift to outpatient, which is already happening, maybe a little bit less in-person if we can replace with lower cost virtual, maybe, God willing, more value-oriented investments of prevention and wellness so we can forestall the progression of disease. And if we start to think about growth and cost savings and optimization in the context of where our organization will hit this proverbial national constraint, well, then you want to know the question, what are we doing to contribute to the overall savings for the system, but allow us to still thrive locally? And my guess is the C-suite and the board is grappling with this issue and making big strategic moves. Do I have to consolidate and build scale? Do I have to position myself as the absolute uh, most important provider in a in a network and command a kind of premium rate structure as a result? Am I willing to make the bet that I can deliver better outcomes than my neighbors and put some revenue at risk as, on account of that commitment? If you don't know where the strategy of the organization is going, it's hard to anticipate backwards what the technology requirements are, which leads me to my third layer of the cake, Bill. Compliance is minimum viable. We have to be ready. The Cures Act rules have come out. Not only do the EHR systems you work with have to ship products certified to the Cures Act no later than 1231, you have to turn them on by September. You might want to learn what you're going to do with these technologies in nine months. So we know the consumer story. Bill, you and I've talked about this a lot, Apple Health, Android with Common Health. We've kind of largely accomplished that mission objective, which is I know as CIO how to interact with consumer apps. I may not do much. I may simply flip the switch on and, and allow them to operate, but I, I kind of know the movie. But the Cures Act adds a physician access API and a population level API. How am I going to open up an app store for my doctors? Am I? Or am I going to make them continue to struggle acting with the electronic systems that we have put in front of them, but hook or crook? Will I engage in a more population level sharing relationship with health plans, public health agencies, other strategic partners? And if so, what will that look like? So my view is compliance is minimum. You got to turn on the lights. But the real question is, are you going to use any of this infrastructure? Are there use cases that you've been told by your colleagues about how to unlock this information? Or worse, are they telling you without telling you? I think a lot of the demand signal for some of these new technologies, the regulations, they're embedded in other use cases. Hey, I want to improve my advantage quality performance. Well, that, that may not speak to you about how the Cures Act will come into play, but it may be a critical factor in how you interact with the health plans to jointly identify patients that are in the community that are not getting the care they deserve. So I think, Bill, three layers. Understand that what you're doing for your day job against the backdrop of the national priorities, that's going to come into some struggle sooner than you may think. Two, 
making sure that you've got a, a little bit more awareness for the underlying drivers of success and then map the new capabilities that are coming online such that you're prepared to educate your peers on what they can do with that information to be successful. All right. We're doing webinars a little different this year. As we have told you, got a lot of feedback from the community about what works, what doesn't work. We talked to our advisors, our CIO, CMIO advisors, and they said, hey, look, community-generated topics, great contributors, not product-focused. They want the questions ahead of time so that they can incorporate them into their answers. And they wanted a forum that is honest and open. And what we decided was once and done. If you're at the webinar, you get to hear the content. If not, it's not on demand. You don't get to download it later. We're going to do it on a consistent date and time. And our next one coming up is February 2nd. It is Priorities for 2023. And this one is around academic medical centers. And we have some great leaders who are going to come in and discuss the priorities for 2023. We already have Donna Roach lined up. We have Dr. Michael Pfeffer with Stanford lined up. We're going to continue to just bring great content, community-generated topics, and keep the, the discussion going. If you have feedback, love to hear it. And if there is any questions you have, go ahead and fill out the registration form and you have a space there to give us your questions at a time. We want to make sure that we cover the topics that are of interest to you. Website, top right-hand corner, sign up today. Love to see you there. All right, I got a whole page of notes here. Because you say a lot in a very short period of time, and I had to I had to write it down to see it. So you you said, look, this is what we're looking at: uh, aggregate fiscal constraints. We are going to we have individual markets sort of going at, at, at that local markets and national markets, depending on how large you are, labor, supplies, costs in general that we're optimizing for, and then there's this whole compliance aspect that we need to understand the things that are coming together. One of the things, and you've used the, this terminology pretty often, I, it's probably, you're probably going to laugh when I just throw this back at you like it's like it's some sort of framework, but tech, data, and innovation. Yes, sir. And the reason I throw that back at you is the old thing about the CIO was they're tech-driven, right? They keep the data center running. They keep this going. They, they implement new systems. Nouns. These are nouns. I have to buy things, maintain things. Yeah. Right? That that's the tech. And and the tech moved from hardware to software to cloud. And we feel like, hey, we're being innovative and those kind of things. But we're not really being innovative. We're not taking all the different levers and things we have. Innovation is really taking all the things that you have and doing something new, something different than the way you've done it before. And it could drive costs out of the equation, could drive quality, could drive something that strategically helps your health system. Product development. To me, the three layers, so the tech part of the job is a sourcing GPO job. You're not really building a lot of the tech in most health systems. You're mostly buying and managing and maintaining. But the data piece is critical. Right. I believe data governance is a probably the biggest gap from best performing organizations to least performing organizations. Just a, a little bit of a non sequitur, I'll get back to innovation in a minute. But on the data issue, I often ask the question, do you remember that letter Epic sent right before the Cures Act went final? I, nobody can forget that letter. That letter, oh my God. And I, I, I do tease my friends at Epic and I do love everybody. I love Epic, I love Cerner, I love everybody. I was jokingly referring to that as like lobbying malpractice, okay? It, it was organized after the thing was already written for what purpose 
I don't know. It's, it wasn't going to change the outcome. It was just going to create more frustration and, or get people's hopes up. I don't know what it was, but here's my point. Embedded in that letter was a lot of kind of concern that third-party applications would be selling data to call it yeah. pharma, whomever. Yep. So I would go to health system CEOs and say, I, whether they signed the letter or not, I want to, I won't get into the details of who signed, but are you selling data? What? No. What do you mean? I'm a hospital. I do this. I do that. I'm like, oh, are the BAA contracts that you've signed constraining any of the vendors you work with from selling data? What? What do you mean? Where do you think all this data is flowing? It's data that comes out of your systems. Oh, it turns out indirectly, directly, you're getting a discount when you purchase the technology. If you allow the data to be used in a de-identified way, so it doesn't violate HIPAA, but you could be... so. I'm like, wait a minute. So what are you saying? You are or you are not? Do you have your arms around like data rights and use? Are you organizing yourself to understand the markets in which you're operating? Like walk me through your data, not your tech. I get your tech. You're buying things, you're upgrading. Where's the asset? And so I do think there is a data governance gap that best performing organizations make it clear that we want to retain control over access and use of the data. We will use regulated technology, i.e. bulk fire APIs and the like, so we can make it easy to interact with the data, but we wanna retain control. And so I do think a big part of the technology data and innovation question is you got the GPO issue on the tech, you got the data governance issue, what rights do you have? What, how do you reduce harm? How do you maximize the good? And then on the innovation side, who leads product development? What's the digital front door? What's the Harry Potter sorting hat that says you need a consult? Let's make sure you're connected to the very best person, not the first available random list of my, go to the, go to the average hospitals, find a doc page bill. How does it sort by last name, by specialty? Right. Is that a way for me to match.com my clinical needs to the, to the, faculty that you've got or the, the the affiliated clinical network. So innovation is what's the product development experience? What's the user experience, physician user experience, nurse user experience, patient user experience, community user experience? And how do we think through a way to harness all the assets in the organization to give them a better experience? In 2023, we are celebrating five years at This Week Health, and we are working to give back, and we will be partnering this year with Alex's Lemonade Stand all year long. As you know, having a child with cancer is one of the most painful and difficult situations a family can face. At Alex's Lemonade Stand Foundation, they understand the personal side of the diagnosis, the resources needed, and the impact that funded research can have for better treatments and more cures. Today, Alex's Lemonade Stand is one of the leading funders of pediatric cancer research in the U.S. and Canada, funding more than 1,000 research projects and providing programs to families affected by childhood cancer. You can get more information about them at alexslemonade.org. So how are we going to partner? Well, the leadership team and myself personally, we have put some money aside to really fund the start of this. Uh, but what we're looking for is partners, right? So we're going to ask our partner, 
our partners, our sponsors to be a part of this. We're going to ask you to be a part of this. And some of the ways that you can help contribute is we're going to have drives throughout the year. We're going to have follower drives, followers of the show, followers of our LinkedIn channel, Twitter channel, YouTube channel, you name it. We're going to have these drives. And as part of those drives, we're going to ask people to be a part of putting donations towards Alex's Lemonade Stand. There's going to be many opportunities this year. So keep an eye out all year long to see how you can support Alex's Lemonade Stand. You can find more information out on our website, thisweekhealth.com. You can also check out Alex's Lemonade Stand again at alexslemonade.org. And if you go to our website, their logo is going to be on our homepage on the top right-hand corner. We're celebrating our five-year anniversary and we want to continue to give back to the community. So we welcome you to be a part of it and looking forward to seeing what we can do this year. All right. So, but I'm going to bring you back to the first one, aggregate fiscal constraints. Yeah, and not you're, good you're, news. Well, not good news. And you're talking about developing new capabilities, product development, data, some data governance. I mean, we all have data governance, but essentially expanding that and doing a better job. So the the challenge around that is as people hear this, they're like, what do you expect us to do? The innovation side of it is going to slow down over the next couple of months. But one of the things I was going to say to you as you were sort of talking through these challenges, first of all, there's always winners in a down economy. By the way, why should the innovation engine slow down? It, it shouldn't. I mean, it's a case I'm about to make. It, it, it can't, in fact. There's always winners in a down economy. And those that are able to innovate during that down economy are going to be able to position themselves well coming out the other side. And we're not even sure. That no one at this point is saying to me, hey, this is, this is the, I mean, you said a normal 20-year cycle. It's, it's down, it's back up and that kind of stuff. But no one's looking at me saying, yeah. Yes, we had the pandemic. Yes, we're having a recession, but yeah, we're just we're going to bounce back out of this in 2 or 3 years. I don't hear anyone saying that. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. We always need healthcare, so it would lead me to believe that we are going to bounce back out of it. But the challenge is health systems operate on such thin margins as it is, and they really only make money from like three or four things. They have yeah. to innovate out of this. They, there, there has to be, it's not, hey, let's wait for a new model. Let's wait for a new, you have to innovate out of this. What are some of the ways, you're a former CTO, I'm a former CIO. What are some of the ways we innovate out of this? We grow our market share. We, I mean, what are we, what are we thinking about at this point? Yeah. Life is about threes. Job number one will probably be a cost savings product development portfolio. So let's go back to the Cures Act. So now every doctor in every health system in every corner of the country has certain rights, rights to data, and more importantly, the rights to install third-party software to help them become more productive in on, on top of these sort of regulated Healthcare is the only industry, Bill, where we spent all this money on IT and productivity went down. Right. Only industry. So part of that is we sort of jammed certain capabilities into the organization. They weren't built for the kind of productivity gains. They were 
some would argue, oh, blame the government. Anish, what are you talking about? You're part of the problem. You, you made us to do all this extra paperwork. And I get there's a lot of debate about uh, how much prescription we put into the electronic health record certification rules and how much we were anticipating value-based care. And that would have been fuel for that future environment to be more productive, but may not have been as productive in the fee-for-service era. What, whatever the circumstance. Imagine unleashing every one of your pods, clinical pods, to say, you know what? Could you do the job we ask you to do 30% faster? Well, if we did X, Y, and Z things with the information that I have access to, but I'm re-entering everywhere, or I'm, I'm I mean, Bill, e-faxes are going up, not down from certified electronic health records to other health organizations, which means, oh, I've built this cool technology that can optical character recognition the facts and convert it into the fire format. I can put it back into my data warehouse, right? Innovation, yeah. no, massively unproductive. So if we unlocked all of the tech platforms, thanks to the Cures Act, maybe, we fast track productivity enhancing solutions, some of which could be made by kids in a garage, you know, like a get the go to the local university and say, hey, I'll put a $10,000 prize competition for the app developer that helps a doctor do X, Y, and Z. And of course, now your audience is going to say, oh, Anish, you fool. What about security? High trust? Can't do that. No, so, you, you, you can do that. Everybody knows you can do that. You can create sandboxes. So the point, thank you. So layer one, unleash the platform for a democratized menu of cost-saving, productivity-enhancing capabilities. And let's call that incremental innovation. Next layer of the cake, there's some revenue challenges. We need to compete for business. Well, walk over to your marketing officer and say, what's our strategy? Well, we've got billboards on I-95. We've got ads in the physical papers, if, if that's a thing anymore. I want to harness technology, data, and innovation to get folks who'd be great members of ours because we're excellent at delivering service A versus B. So you might say in the innovation space, how can we unleash the power of thoughtful, compliant, approachable, personalized outreach so we can recruit the kind of folks that we want to bring in? Maybe it's folks we used to care for in the past or have seen an affiliated physician and we want to reach out to them. We can do so much more, Bill, to build a better intake product to get folks to decide, Harry Potter sorting hat, that we'd be a great place for them to get care. So maybe that second category is in the revenue growth bucket. And it's again, unleashing what is possible in summarization of healthcare. And we, we may get into the details here, but they're entitled to good faith estimates for price transparency. They can figure out who the high value doctors are. There's a whole litany of things we can do to discriminate on co-pays and deductibles for, for certain high quality services that can make this more affordable for people. So that's basket two. And then my dream is basket three. What if we actually took the expected total cost of a patient for a given year 
and took that responsibility and said, what we can do is we're going to reallocate the things that we do with that individual and overall lower that total cost of care. This is, again, you said December 1st. So later on Thanksgiving, CMS released the first year results for the Medicare direct contracting program where they created this capitated budget. Organizations like Peace Health, Metro Health, Intermountain, they're all in that ACO REACH program. All of them made 3 4% net savings rates, millions of dollars on a very small pool of patients because they figured out a way to better coordinate that care. And if if you are the CIO and you're not thinking about product development, that's all about the 95% of the patients in the community who are not coming into your health organization to get care that day, but need some outreach. And thinking about that CRM capability, thinking about decision support, thinking about ways to activate individuals to kind of stay, I wouldn't use the word adherent, but active on their care plan as a team. All of this is possible, Bill. We can build products and services cost savings, growth, total cost of care. Wow. Product development. It's interesting because that has a connotation to it, but that's this is exactly what the CEOs are looking for from not only the CIO, the chief digital officer, chief strategy officer, chief medical officer. They're looking for innovation, creation, new ideas, new thinking around, hey, how can we do this differently, better, and different approaches? And one of the things we're not looking for anymore is the person who, who's sitting there going, yeah, I can acquire this technology for you. I can acquire this technology for you. I can get you a shopping list of things. Hey, I found a product that does these things. It's more, if I hear you correctly, it's more about looking at all the things that are coming, looking at the the regulatory things that are coming down, looking at the innovation that's going on in the space. It's looking at the people that you can tap into and say, hey, you know what? We don't have all the ideas. Let's see what ideas they can tap into and creating that, uh, not only a sandbox of technology, but a sandbox of innovation where they can come in, start plugging in and doing things pretty rapidly on de-identified data and on systems that are not tied to our production that they can prove things out and go, look, I think we can save that 30% you were talking about. I think a lot of the ideas may be to open it up within your walls. So a lot of the conversation on your show is, hey, how did you manage this? Did you onboard vendors? Did you? How did you find those tools? For sure, that's a thing. And a lot of your audience understands how to go about the landscape of new capabilities on the market and figuring it out. The exciting thing for me with all these rules your best innovators might very well be on your staff. Shinseki and the VA did an internal innovation competition every 90 days. We, he would organize this like competition to say, give me the problem you want to solve. And then let's go find ways we can sort of MacGyver a solution. And that let's celebrate almost like a, a celebration prize more so than a monetary prize kind of the best of those teams. And he would ask all the VA uh, local pods, the, the Visions and within the Visions, the community groups to come up with those things. And there's so many examples, Bill. People would say, oh, to get someone qualified for disability benefits in the VA, I have to fill out a 15 page form, 80% of which is content that's already in the EHR, but I have to re-enter it all. Simple, obvious things. Oh, what if I had a pipe that pre-populated? Oh, wow, you just saved like a huge chunk of my time. So there's a lot, a lot of stuff we can do if you 
if you put the goal, the problem you want to solve out first, unlocked the assets thanks to all the regulations, and then celebrated with your colleagues who can do the best job. And maybe it's vendor partners, maybe it's in-house staff, maybe it's platform partners, the big cloud platforms, the the CVSs and the Walgreens and the Googles and the Microsofts and all that. What what does the CIO need to know and understand about bulk fire? Bulk fire to me is one of the most interesting things out there that maybe there's there's still some confusion around where it's going to be used. I think we first need a basic understanding of APIs versus interfaces. Most of your friends and colleagues understand the language of interfaces. Each one is purpose-built. Then we saw market innovation where companies came in and said, we can create a pipe and then reuse that pipe to others. And so there's like an interface per use case or an interface pipe for many use cases. And they're all interesting, but they are all architected on the interface engine. Right. APIs allow us to embed governance in the data flow. And that is what I think is the most revolutionary muscle for a CIO. Because now you can grant and create API tokens that meet specific use cases. I'll unlock the medical record one time only for the purposes of getting real-time adjudication on prior authorization for a much-needed cancer drug. Or I will share all of the information for a full year with my risk-bearing physician network partner. I can take the same underlying assets and the marginal cost of creating a token is negligible. Minutes, hours at the most. And I can build very tightly defined constraints on the APIs. Today's APIs are either binary, all patients or one unlocked by their username and password to their patient portal account. Bulk fire gives us that Goldilocks happiness in the middle. I'm working with a strategic partner. Let's just say Walmart. And I share a thousand patients with Walmart, mutually agreed. Bulk fire allows me to build a key constrained to just the thousand patients in my relationship with Walmart. And so I can hand Walmart access to my underlying APIs, the fire infrastructure, but I'm careful that I haven't allowed them to misuse that token to query for someone that may be shopping at a Walgreens or a CVS. And I control that through bulk fire. I will have a regulated tool. I can log into this tool and I can create the parameters. What are the parameters? One, what's the underlying population for which I'm willing to expose access through the key? Two, what content? Will I give them access to all of the fire resources or a few? Three, for how long will I grant this access? Immediately? always on until revoked, or a time-limited duration tied to some contractual agreement that we've mutually agreed upon. Bulk fire is the new 
regulated appliance, kind of like opening up Excel for the first time. It could sit there gathering digital dust doing nothing, or we can learn to program it to optimize our daily challenges. And my worry is that we're entering the year 2023 and there are far fewer use cases on the bulk fire capability live and in production, not because it wasn't the right tool, but because a lot of the folks listening to your session haven't been trained on how to program in proverbial bulk fire Excel. The good news though, Bill, is it's not, doesn't require a PhD in physics. This isn't about the blockchain. You don't need to know machine learning. You just have to understand basic API management. Yeah. We're coming up on our time. You and I, uh, I love our conversations. I wish we could have more of them throughout the year, but the, uh, let me, let's talk about strategy for a minute here. One of the challenges that I've seen in the industry is I will talk to CIOs and they'll ask me some things and I'll say, well, what's your organization's strategy? And they will look at me and say, and they'll give me some generic answers. I'll go, no, no, no. What's your organization's strategy? Like, what are you, what are you focused in on? Like we had a, and I give them an example. We had a six pillar strategy and the six pillars were around quality and, and community and access. And when I talk about each one of those, and this is what we were doing. And they'd look at me and go, yeah, we don't, we don't really have something to that level. It's more along the lines of whatever, who, here's what I want you to do. I, I'm the easiest way to not put you on the spot is to say, think about an organization that you're like, man, this organization really has it together. Yeah. What what does it look like? What is what is the interaction? What does the development of the strategy look like? And the interaction of the players look like? Clearly, you're going to hear a lot of this from organizations on the change agenda. That is to say, if we've been doing the same thing for 10, 15, 20 years, but just slightly better, slightly faster, slightly cheaper, the strategy may not be articulated as net new because it's the same strategy of the past just needs to be refreshed with new tools on the market, allow me to do more things to accomplish the mission objective. By the way, there's value in that. It's the change organizations, the ones that are saying the following. I need to meet HCA level operating performance if I'm going to sustain my health organization, which means I've got to turn 10% administrative sa savings by being much more yeah. operationally efficient. Go and, our, down and our metric was, we want to make money on Medicare. Like that was a metric Perfect. for us. And not only do I love that, it's measurable. Right. We know what it takes. It's about identifying early length of stay improvement opportunities because you got a fixed pot of revenue. It's thinking about appropriate handoffs. So on the way in, you're already beginning to plan for next discharge. So what's the relationship like with the primary care doctor? So how many patients have been admitted today where the database says PCP not found? Okay. I, I, yeah. And, and, and to even go a step further, how many people looked at the CMS requirement that we must turn on ADT feeds to community doctors as an annoyance and a frustration and a burden and a vendor thing, not a thing that they have to solve for? Because you all these things come together. 
You want to get to Medicare profitability, which by the way, everyone should work towards Medicare profitability. If you're not calling the PCP when that patient's in the emergency room to plan for their uh, entire length of stay, you're going to set yourself up for failure on the Medicare break-even goal. Interoperability becomes a must-do, not a burden on compliance and, oh, what's the security and how do I figure out who everyone's primary care doctor is? And just all this feels like annoyance unless you understood the strategy. Medicare, break-even, fixed revenue, slightly uncoding, slightly accurate, like, is this patient morbidly obese? And if so, what would that do to us on our sort of reimbursement intensity and post-discharge follow-up? So there's a very clear strategy on cost. Growth, same question. Where are patients coming from? What share of the patients who come to us get care from competing organizations for other parts of their health need? How do we communicate? The value of integration. So these are all fairly tried and true strategies that you don't have to have like the perfect crystal ball to figure out the future of the country to know, got to be cost effective, got to grow my revenue base. And maybe, maybe, maybe if value-based care becomes a thing, I've got to organize the total cost of care as a bigger, bigger, bigger DRG and manage that in a more effective way. Anish, always fantastic to catch up with you. Hope to be catching up with you at the J.P. Morgan Conference or wherever yes, we sir. happen to run into each other. It would be fantastic to uh, sit down and grab a cup of coffee. I can't wait. Thanks for having me, my friend. And uh, Godspeed to you and your family on the holidays. I love the chance to have these conversations. If I were a CIO today, I would have every team member listen to a show like this one. It's conference-level value every week. If you want to support This Week Health, tell someone about our channels. We have three This Week Health Conference, This Week Health Newsroom, and This Week Health Community. Check them out today. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher. You get the picture. We are everywhere. We want to thank our keynote partners who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. 